Hello, welcome to Dustbusters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and Philip Pullman's original books are some of my favourites of all time. My name is Louisa Maycock. Jake and I have been together for almost ten years, and yet I have not taken the time to ever read a single one of these books. And this is the education we got from Series 2, Episode 5 of His Dark Materials, The Scholar. So, we are over the halfway point of the series now, and last week was a real highlight uh, of the series as a whole and of Season 2. So there's a lot of excitement ahead for this one, but like good scholars, first we should do our revision and remind ourselves of what happened last week. Louis, this is always always your job as our our surrogate for the audience who knows nothing about his dark materials. Recap us, tell us what happened last week. I haven't made flashcards. I've not made notes on my my hand. I'm just going to completely go off the cuff on this one. Okay, so last week it was a big episode. We saw Lee meeting up with Hot Priest, a.k.a. Japari, a.k.a. John Parry, a.k.a. Oh, what was his name? Oh, I was doing so well. <laughs> Stanislas Baratheon. That's Game of Thrones, oh. but close. <laughs> Stanislas Grumman. There you go. Or is it St- Stannis Grumman? No, Stannis Baratheon. Is from Game of yeah. Thrones. Stannis Grumman. Stanislas. Stanislas Grumman. Okay, they, they met up in a cabin in the woods and decided to team up to go and find Lyra. We saw... Um, Will and Lyra going to get the subtle knife from the tower um, as a swap for the lithiometer which Boreal stole. We had a good fight scene with some witches on some blimps. Are they called blimps? Uh, killing some some guards and heading on into the bridge in the sky. Will got his fingers cut off which meant that he is now the keeper of the knife or the guardian of the knife he had a crash course in knife skills with old man old man mr knife (laughs) (laughs) his name begins with j it's not john t it's an it's a name that i would i would put on my list of names i like though can you not give me a clue? Uh, begin, it may start sound like a J, but it starts with a G. Gale? And, and it's a, <laughs> a, a, it was or is a men's clothing shop. Top man? <laughs> Giacomo. Ja- I, I didn't know. Giacomo Paradisi. And there's one person from last week that we're missing. Mary Malone had a big, big breakthrough in her cave and found out that dust is dark matter and both of those things are in fact angry angels looking for vengeance exactly just your classic cliffhanger uh amazing ending to that episode and so much to then follow up with in this one so let's move on to episode five the scholar So this one, although is not a natural follow-on to every element from the previous episode, because there's no Lee and Japari in this one, and there's not really any witches, this is very much a Lyra, Mrs. Coulter episode, and we'll probably get a big Lee episode next week, I imagine. 
but we will start uh, just to clear it from the decks. There's one Magisterium scene, and then we will jump into all the big events. So the Magisterium, they realised that they totally messed it up by blowing up the witches, because that meant that the witches came and, as you said, Louis, blew up all their blimps in a very cool scene. This was a great one to get into the even bigger 1984-type parallels of the Magisterium fake news even though there is a clear light in the sky and a bridge and a portal that people are traveling through that they are discussing whether or not uh, to tell the public that it does in fact not exist i like that they're just calling it an anomaly which makes it seem even more if they're trying to play it down they oh, should come up with a better name oh for sure it like every every time father mcphail refers to it as the anomaly i i there's a part of me that's thinking in a few episodes we're just going to see him going, the the, the Asriel virus, <laughs> it's fake, it's not real. <laughs> it's it's quite fun to just see evil people be evil, particularly when they're laying on this thick. I don't know if you noticed all the demons that were in this scene. There was one spider that crept up and it actually made me jump. Yeah, um, so that was Graves. He's, he's called, his surname is Graves and he's got a spider for a demon. There was another one who has an insect and another one who has a rat. <laughs> I wonder if these are the baddies. <laughs> yeah, for for Graves, he he questions this process. Maybe this is a bad idea to um, pretend that none of this exists. Um, but MacPhail deems that even questioning that was to question the authority, and that the authority, of course, intended for all of the guards and all of the blimps to blow up because that's part of his plan, and you have to do what the plan says. Religion, eh? <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Um, and that, that scene ends with MacPhail getting Fra Parvel to use his alethiometer to find Mrs. Coulter. And this aspect of other alethiometers... Not, not interested. There's what? only one alethiometer for me. Right, okay. It feels wrong that there should be multiple alethiometers. So I, I wonder whether how far in we'll get into this, into Spyglass and into um, Book of Dust, because grown-ups can't read alethiometers the same way that kids can because the alethiometer itself is tied to dust and that's why lyra can enter this state where she can read it whereas a old person will study it in a very scholarly manner properly interpret it and as you might write an essay on a text you might interpret all of the symbols that the alethiometer gives you and try and extrapolate from that meaning you know what you could uh, you could bring in here? What's that? Some some Sontag. Oh, really? Against interpretation. Yeah. So what would Susan Sontag say? Susan Sontag say? would say, um, you know, modern academics mm. are killing art because they're so obsessed and driven to find meaning and um, excavate all the content mm. behind any work of art, whereas someone who's more enlightened will come at it and haven't have a reaction that's more of the body or as we've been saying throughout this series just vibe yeah exactly just, just exactly. vibe with the art and... that's what Sontag was saying just vibe yeah <laughs> so you're having a you're able to experience whatever you're you know you're looking at or you're reading in a in a more colorful varied way because you're not bogged down in trying to find meaning in it and in turn basically explaining everything away 
yeah, and that's why kids are so fun to write stories for and to te- and for kids to tell you stories as well because they are not thinking like that. They, mm-hmm. It is like free association storytelling. It's all. I think it's more impulsive as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's very interesting when you get to the Book of Dust two, the Secret Commonwealth, where Lyra is a grown up, and so we get further down the road of dust and alethiometers with her compared to how we have her now, where she is still very much midpoint between child and adult. Um, Two minutes in, we're into Susan Sontag. (laughs) Um, And also, we're both in our pyjamas, so maybe this is the way forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like being back at uni, isn't it? (laughs) Just uh, walking around the flat in our pyjamas. Pontificating on Susan Sontag. Absolutely. Right, let's jump to Mrs. Coulter and Lord Boreal. um, So it was teased at the end of last week. It's finally happened. Mrs. Coulter, in our world, we thought, what are all the things that they could do with this? But in fact, they gave us something we didn't expect and perhaps the best moment in the whole episode. Golden monkey in a (laughs) seatbelt. This moment. Just in the rearview mirror little <laughs> monkey in a seatbelt like a little baby um she's not it's what just, i expected but you could really read into that with yeah. you know mrs calder wanting to make sure that the monkey is safe maybe she's not wanting to get a fine and he's kind of got the look of maybe a six-year-old who feels like they've outgrown the child seat yeah but still has to go in the child seat by law <laughs> Um, it would have been too much if the monkey was in the passenger seat and Mrs. Coulter was driving. That would have been too much. Um, but this this is a little montage at the start where we quickly see Mrs. Coulter like learning about our world and everything that's different to it. Um, she sees a working mother hmm, having it all, mm-hmm. both a child and her work. Um, but also she has the best coffee in Oxford as yeah. well. Um, we get more more commentary reflecting our current state of the world where Boreal says that our government is more corrupt than the Magisterium on the BBC that's not very balanced is it not at all I won't be renewing my license fee <laughs> um, and that, that our society is built on consumerism over faith it's pretty heavy handed here but it's fine because it's nice fish out of water stuff so it kind of makes sense it's not really a casual conversation over coffee is it no it's not um but we do get some background on what lord boreal has actually been up to and how he has sustained this life because i was actually i think in last week's episode i was we were wondering about his um, property portfolio Mm. and he does in fact give us an answer Mm, that he he owns this lovely house in oxford doesn't he he? bought it after he sold his first collection Mm. yeah so he he had actually been taking artifacts from lyra's world into our world and then selling them because in lyra's world they're worth nothing but here they are ancient antiquities that seems like it should be a bit illegal but like trafficking they would like from different universes but if no one knows the universes exist then they wouldn't question it would they but how would you have the because you can carbon date something, and so they'd be able to tell how old something is. Regard and Boreal's not going to say yes, it is that old, but also it's from another universe. And I suppose it would just be this really rare mm. artifact. Yeah, um, and he's also got a spacesuit, and I don't know if other people noticed this I in didn't the background. Spot it. Yeah, it's just um, in one shot. And Do you know which which spacesuit it is? Didn't get a close up, um, but 
I mean, it did make me think that Lord Boreal knows that NASA is a thing and that we went to the moon uh, and technology like that exists and how mad that would be in Lyra's world. But maybe that will be the Book of Dust part three. <laughs> Lyra think, goes to the moon. <laughs> I think Lyra would definitely go to space camp. I think she'd be really into space. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and Boreal is showing her all of his trinkets and things that he's got in his personal museum. And uh, Mrs. Coulter has pretty much your exact reaction <laughs> to the museum. Pretty much a big yawn. Yeah. yeah. Um, not interested whatsoever. And uh, so now she now she's got into our world. It's kind of her her tinkering, her planning is starting to reveal itself because she's very much whether or how far we believe her, she's in protect Lyra mode, and she's got Boreal into this world, and now it's becoming quite clear that she does not care for him. <laughs> As he's trying to romance her and impress her with his. Just his automated speaker system. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and um, if if you are Mrs. Coulter, then I'm Boreal, because I, I, I spent a, a, a brief few weeks earlier this year trying to convert our flat into like a, into a smart house. And In he, a very, yeah. very sort of subtle way. Oh, like, yeah, like I've got like two, two light bulbs and two smart speakers. And I still can't, I just can't figure it out. And I just trying to turn on our lights and i always get the words wrong yeah and but once you get it right you feel you feel like boreal when he gets his speakers playing and he sits back on his sofa feeling so proud that he's managed to put on uh the lighthouse family (laughs) what just what was the i would love to hear from someone on the show what the the rationale behind that song choice was well, I, so I went into a, a little rabbit hole on this song afterwards because it, it did seem like such a niche choice. It's a song that I remember quite strongly from my childhood listening to. Do you know when it was when it was released? 95, I think? Yeah, so I would have been quite Young. little. But I'm sure I remember listening to it in the back of our Volvo. Well, it got a re-release in 99. Yeah. So it might have been that. It was one of the Volvo tapes. Yeah, Um by the way, this was an interesting quote from um, Tunde Bayou, who was one of the writers on the song. And he said, for me, it's about being in the darkness, looking for that spiritual thing to lift you out of something. People seem to connect with it emotionally, mentally, even politically. What, that song? Yeah. And uh, so dive into the lyrics uh, if you want to look them up. But you could absolutely take from those uh, any reading of his dark materials as well, like whether you want to take it as a religious text a non-religious text an emotional text a spiritual text also it wasn't picked as an ironic choice no i think it can it's okay. absolutely like a funny choice um but there is some depth to that humor um within all this dialogue between mrs coulter and boreal i also picked out something on her performance ruth wilson who we, we've said many many times is, is brilliant in this and that she will leave her mouth slightly open at the end of a sentence and it makes you think that she's just she's always ready to interrupt you like that she's yeah. never finished like there's there could well be another barb there could be another foil or another part of the plan and uh it's just always keeping you on your toes and unnerved she she's brilliant um but that's not the best mrs coulter 
of this episode. I think I must be probably the most annoying person to watch anything with because I do predict stuff, don't I? Yes. So at the, at the start of the episode, you said what what kind of genes? I said, can we have a segment of the podcast this week where we decide what kind of um, cut of jean Mrs. Coulter would would wear? Because obviously she she needs to be she needs to um, fit into this world, our world, and her shoulder padded structural skirt suits probably won't quite cut it. People don't really wear brooches nowadays. Um, so I was excited well, for this. And and you got an answer, because we, we got a proper makeover session. I love um, that Boreal had been out. I wonder where he went to show. I think maybe, um, like, Jigsaw, Hobbs, Whistles. <laughs> That's definitely Mrs. Coulter. Well, he he knew um, about the jeans, because he, he prepared some. He did then prepare her some. We, we got the answer to the question, what jeans would she wear? The answer is... None. I'm sure many people could relate to Mrs. Coulter looking at the pair of jeans laid out on the bed, picking them up, considering them for a split second, then uh, tossing them away again. Because I'm sure... I mean, I've been, I've kept on wearing my jeans this year just as a way of keeping some semblance of normality. But Mrs. Coulter would not be seen dead in a pair of jeans. They're not for her. No, she, she has a, a black suit, bright pink shirt combo. And a new hairdo, but it, and it but it feels it still feels very like her whilst being very much our world at the same time. I do think if she was to be seen in a pair of jeans, I think she probably would go for a straight cut. Right. Why is mid rise? I don't see her in this pair of skinny jeans, um, and I don't see her in a in a mom jean of, <laughs> for obvious reasons. That's too. You know, too complicated. Her relationship with those genes would be as complicated as her relationship with her own daughter. <laughs> yeah, I think a straight, a classic pair of blue jeans. Well, so she gets her gets her cool new suit. She's ready to go out into the world, and then she does something quite surprising. She locks her demon away, which is not very nice to see, even if it is the golden monkey. Um, this is maybe our first time feeling sad for the golden monkey yeah the golden monkey i think experiences some separation anxiety Mm. and i mean does mrs coulter because there's definitely suggestions so far that their relationship is odd and uh very different to other people's demon i have a feeling it's sort of like half on half off yeah i mean i do like I, i think there's certainly suggestions that perhaps the separation process has worked with them because she can do this mm-hmm. uh, but then you've also got the fact that the golden monkey unlike other demons doesn't converse with her in in english and that they don't really support each other in any way other than that one glimpse of them holding hands but yeah she puts she makes sure to buckle in the golden monkey in the car yeah i know and she says like teasingly to boreal have you never encountered witches witches uh we know uh can separate from their demons that's a process that every witch goes through um and it, it's a obviously a, a little joke to him as to how she can do it but there is also you could think oh 
is she actually a witch? Because Mrs. Coulter's not a witch in the traditional sense of what we might think of as a witch. There is a witchiness to her. So she she does all this so she can visit Mary Malone. Understatement of the century. Mary, Mary says uh, Lyra mentioned there was trouble at home. <laughs> <laughs> this scene of them together is, I think, it's one of the first times that Mrs. Coulter is. You have a feeling that she's utterly out of her depths, mm. and seeing. She's seeing Lyra through Mary's eyes. And it's quite, I think, unnerving for her. Well, well, and she feels jealous. Yeah, but Mary, Mary says that to Mrs. Coulter that she must be so proud of Lyra. And I got the sense that that emotion was real. That she genuinely did. But the fact, as you say, that Mary is the person that Lyra has shared this with there is a there is a jealousy there that she hasn't been the one to have this experience with Lyra and I I certainly thought that that's what that reaction was and she gets overwhelmed she leaves but then she gets back to the house and I thought is it the Lyra situation or was it the separation from the demon or was it a feeling that because obviously she has this conversation with Mary and we learn that Mrs. Coulter was in fact also a scholar in her world. Mm. And I think there's a huge feeling of, um, not inadequacy, but, you know, regret. Yeah. This is what I could have had. Yeah, we saw it at the start with, um, like, seeing that woman having her coffee and with her baby and doing her work. And this world that might have been... Um, yeah, this episode was called The Scholar, and I would have assumed that was it was going to be a Mary episode, but it is revealed that The Scholar is Mrs. Coulter. Uh, and she, she reveals this to Lord Boreal, that she wrote these papers that had to be couldn't be published unless they were published under men's names. Uh, and he says a line that no, no man should be attempting. You're clearly upset. <sighs> I'm shaking my head this revelation kind of breaks apart the uh, the tension between them because Boreal finally reveals that he imagined them together in this world and you said, mate, you, you've got this very wrong. <laughs> you are deluded. <laughs> yeah. Um, he thinks he's uh, he's got all the power here. He's assembled all of these trinkets and trophies and money to, to win her and it's just totally misguided. She um, does look good in that pink, though. Yeah, that's mm. true. Um, and she she delivers a great line to him that just is crushing, which was, you wouldn't begin to know what to do with me. It's, it's certainly uh, underscored with the the sexual tension that's been between them that we've kind of revealed to have actually been totally one-sided on that. Oh, unrequited. Yeah, and she, as with all the other men in the series, has absolutely just been the puppet master the whole time. Very, very fun to watch. Um, now, jumping to Will and Lyra in Chittagatse, um he's testing his knife skills, uh, just like like a cool scout. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's nice reminders that they're kids like as he's experimenting and opening a window uh lyra flashes you left the window open as if it's just a, a, the normal window in a house uh but th they've changed up her look as well yes that's something that 
I instantly noticed in this episode is that in terms of costume and, and hair as well, Lyra's, I think, gradually changing. You know, she's growing up and they have her with a wasted belt on. And that's the first time that she's sort of given more of a womanly silhouette. And I think, I mean, she's still got her desert boots and, you know, it's still practical, a practical outfit where you could run if mm. you need to. But I think we're getting more of a sense of the woman she's going to become rather than the child. Yeah. She already, she is at the moment. Yeah, and um, there's some some nice scenes of them bouncing around the city as Will kind of cuts through the world to assess how Chittagatse lines up with our Oxford and where each window might align to. Because it's almost like they're, they're sitting on top of each other. And they roll out a, a blueprint of Boreal's house that they've made as if it's like something out of Ocean's Eleven. Um, Do they not have paper? Uh, yeah, they probably could accrue some paper in. Where did they get that that chalk from? Yeah, if if Chittagatsu's not got Negroni as we know it has, it's probably got pens and paper as well. Um, it was the, like the the clearing off of the desk. Yeah, yeah, um, but it's a it's a fun thing to do. Like yeah. that's what you do for like any slightly heist like story. You've got to roll out the blueprint at some point. Um, there's some good good banter between. Uh, Pan and Lyra it's like, I'm going to call it Panta <laughs> yeah. this is why I keep you around yeah <laughs> um, but all, all of this overlapping of the two worlds it's a uh, it's the payoff of what we've mentioned before about the, the matching stares and the matching look of the two worlds they, they directly do overlap maybe a parallel hmm interesting Louis so we have this little bit of Will and Lyra in Chittagatse as they make this plan to go and uh, steal the alethiometer, not just trade it. They're going to have both. And now we bring together our two storylines from this one, Will and Lyra and Mrs. Coulter and Boreal. So Lyra diverts Boreal, knocks on his front door, and then the plan is that Will will cut through and then take the alethiometer whilst Lyra's diverting. But they don't know that there's someone else there, do they? So he opens a doorway and there's a lady in a very cool black suit with a pink shirt. And it's all very nice and tense. Oh, all of this is, is what you want out of that. That, like, the fan scene in a Mission Impossible or the vault in an Ocean's Eleven. You want all of these players separated that you can you clearly see what everyone's got a part to play and it's all very heightened and anything could go wrong at any second and there is some information that some characters know that others don't and vice versa and then we finally get it lyra and mrs coulter together and this has been it must have been so long since this from bolvanger so six six episodes um and the, the, things have things have changed. Mrs. Coulter, having spotted Will, she's got the alethiometer. She offers it to Lyra, which, after all the plotting that we've had about them stealing it, and the deal with Boreal, the prospect of your mother appearing and offering you the device that you want, when all you've learned up to this point is to not trust her. Very confusing. Very confusing. Wouldn't know what to do. Is it because Mrs. Coulter is 
so impressed that Lyra can read it? Maybe. Is is this somehow a, another of her Machiavellian steps that she gives it to her to get her to trust her to then I, use I, the alethiometer for her gains? I do believe that deep down Mrs. Coulter loves Lyra. And I do think she wants to have a relationship with her. This is such a turn though isn't it because yeah, I don't I think, think it's this the... episode that's done it because she's so nervous to see her and the anticipation to see her daughter again and like, this is like all of the stuff with Mary the stuff that we saw at the start of the episode it is really having an impact here that she does the performance very well but maybe performance it's as Ruth games. Wilson and performance yeah. as that character um it's it's very very good and Lyra's having none of it which I think she's caught off guard because she wasn't expecting to see her and it's thrown it throws her confidence and mm. her yeah, her confidence in the plan. And so Lyra kind of sets Pan on the golden monkey. And this is a great reversal of the scene from episode two where the golden monkey attacks Pan in Mrs. Coulter's apartment and it's it is still slightly troubling and painful. Um, it's certainly not triumphant, but it does feel like that there is something in it that feels satisfying. Do you think? I didn't feel that at all. I, I felt like she, because this is the first time that she has been able to, even though not verbally, enact some kind of power oh, over Miss Coulter. And... You can tell that she's not happy about it coming in this form. Neither neither of them are. So she's got a lot of um, tantrums to make up for. Yeah. Missed out tantrums. And on the other side of the room, there's a fight going between Boreal and Will. And Boreal hints at going after Will's mum. I mean, this this kid has already boxed his way through getting two fingers cut off. So I, I wouldn't want to taunt his mum. And so Boreal gets a well-deserved vase to the head and probably a very expensive old vase as well he's had it coming yeah absolutely that was more satisfying than yeah. mrs coulter well because and at one point boyle grabs will's stump like his bleeding stump on his hand in the middle of oh horrible um but credit to the the fight people for making us really feel that intensity um will cuts a window lyra's got the alethiometer and the knife and they jump back through very satisfying that they did that. They did go in with the plan to end up with both, and they did. Who's to say what can happen now that they've got both the alethiometer and the device that can let them jump between worlds? Very, very exciting. So they get back to Chittagatse. Chittagatse at night. I think this is the first time we've seen it on a wide shot at night, and it looks really nice. It reminded me, this is definitely because it's uh, coming up to Christmas, but when you see a Christmas tree through a window and it's got multicolored lights and you've just kind of got this hazy almost pine cone shape that has just got this lovely dusting of different colors it looks really lovely um and within that lovely cityscape lyra makes some coffee at night it's just very very he- coffee heavy episode i want now that, that's the best coffee in chittagatsi <laughs> but i'd love it if we'll just like a bit late yeah, is de- it decaf yeah. <laughs> it's a bit weird I've literally just had to fight a man 
Coffee's not really... That's an interesting choice because it's... You know, if you've had a shock, mm. you're often... The classic <laughs> drink is a nice, like, sweet cup of tea or something. Yeah, or a hot chocolate or something. To go for a... Co- it's not a very comforting drink, is it? Or have a Negroni. <laughs> They might might even be young teenagers. Like now's about the time to start experimenting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice little conversation between those two, rounding rounding up their experience. Uh, Fair enough. Lyra says that she uh, doesn't want to grow up to be like her parents. Fair enough. Yeah, if your parents, if one of your parents was Miss Coulter and the other one had uh, killed your best friend, (laughs) absolutely fair. so that's Will and Lyra and Mrs. Coulter and Boreal. One character we haven't really got into who we will end our discussion on is Mary Malone. So briefly mentioned her that she, Mrs. Coulter went to see her. After that interaction, uh, the cave, it talks to her. Now, this is something that I thought about last week and I just wanted to bring up here because I'm not sure how clear what the cave is saying actually is like whether you are taking it in because it's quite overly filtered mm-hmm. i mean would you gather everything that she's like the cave says I think this is when i probably needed subtitles yeah i and i, I don't want to sound like the christopher nolan haters out there that are just like sound mix <laughs> um but it's I, important yeah i get yeah and i get that it's like these are like atomic conscious particles speaking through a computer so naturally they would sound a bit weird but this is important information you want to be able to understand it i think it would have been uh, what if they'd given her a sort of alexa voice (laughs) and i i realized at this point that I, i i have an advantage coming into the series as if i have my own non visual subtitles because I know the story in the background, I can put two and two together and figure out what a scene is. But in this moment where you've got a strange computer made up of uh, angels telling Mary that she must play the serpent to save the garden, find the entrance, save the girl and the boy, your work here is finished. The thing is, we get... You know, as someone who hasn't got the the background of the the novels, you sort of get the gist. She's going to go into Lyra's world and she's going to play a a significant part in saving her and Will. How do you you interpret you must play the serpent? Someone's demon has a... I don't know, someone's a snake? I mean, serpent usually is a negative thing. Mm. It's got very negative connotations. Mm. Why is that? Biblical. Uh-huh. The snake. Who? So what is the serpent? The garden. The garden of Eden. Oh. You must play... See, this is why subtitles. This is why it could have been made a bit clearer to, to okay, the ear. So, so do you want me... to read it again? Yeah. You must play the serpent to save the garden, find the entrance. The entrance being the, the window. The window. Um, save the girl and the boy. Adam and Eve. Your work here is finished. And conveniently, the cave turns off all the computers (laughs) at that point. It's got power to control the electricity. So play the serpent. That's interesting. That could have a few different meanings. Mm. As in she has to play the role of the serpent or she has to play the serpent as in trick the serpent. 
Yeah, no, this is this. Yeah, I agree. I didn't get any of this. <laughs> but it's not subtext. like it's not like it said. Also, do you remember this bit in the Bible? When yeah. it was, like that. That wasn't. No, but that's it's pretty obvious mm. connotations. Yes, um, and then it gives just before turning off the computers. It says, "Head to the hornbeam tree." Uh, the hornbeam tree being in that uh, middle of the road type roundabout spot, um, and that's in the park. There, we uh, we get a brief scene of Mary's kitchen. Nice, nice, nice kitchen. Uh, she explained. I would like to have seen Boreal's kitchen. I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I feel like he eats out a lot though. Yeah. Don't you think he'd have one of those taps that makes instant boiling water? Hundred percent, yeah. And, Wine fridge. Yeah, and those inbuilt coffee makers. Oh, well, like bean to cup type situation. You know when you it's like fancy fancy kitchens. Mm. They have microwaves that sort of eye level that are right. built into the cupboards. <laughs> Yeah. And then he also has a coffee maker that's built into the cupboard. It's all integrated. Right, okay. And what colour is this? Um, I'm going to say a lot of stainless steel. Oh, right. So quite clinical. Or it's all show and all the stuff doesn't actually work. Oh, yeah. It's all made of cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's just painted it on. Yeah. Um, it's all a facade. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mary's kitchen. Sorry. Very nice. Um, she sees her sister, tells her that she's going on a gap year. They have nice coffee and croissant. Yeah. More coffee. Yeah. Big coffee episode. Maybe the writers were very tired. Yeah. Um, just in their subconscious. Like, what could happen in this scene? Uh, <laughs> coffee. Um, so then Mary goes to the window in the park. There's a security there from boreal security company that he's set up in this world but then mary goes to the window and very much picked up from lights like witnessing lyra pretend to be lizzie she instantly switches it on and says like oh yeah i'm mrs coulter i forgot my badge oh i'll just call charles oh that's fine we'll let you in who's charles charles is boreal's name in our world oh okay yeah how did she know that uh because they've met Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I also like how Mary has a backpack and sleeping bag She's going and stuff. On a big, big trip. Gap year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so she is let in. She steps through the window, and now Mary is in Chisagatsi. So we've got everyone is everywhere these days now because the witches have gone through. Mary's gone through. Will and Lyra are back. Mrs. Coulter has come through may go back we've got the magisterium who won't even acknowledge the thing exists lee and chopari who seem to be on their way there it's all setting things up for these last two episodes i do keep thinking what is going what was in that lost asriel episode oh i would love that because he he is pretty much absent from subtle knife and so it makes me think that we are going to get amber spyglass stuff in the next two episodes because the i suppose the benefit of this being the his dark materials tv series is that it doesn't say series one northern lights series two subtle knife we can make a collage of it all yeah and if there was going to be an asriel focused episode to me that is amber spyglass and so there's because when we haven't got much left of the subtle knife and it it mostly is all takes place within Chitagatse. So it'd be really interesting to see what stuff starts bleeding through. 
particularly the Mary stuff because I, I I can't explain <laughs> just how much strangeness is ahead for Mary of all the characters. It's just an an amazing adventure that she goes on, and I'm I'm so excited for that. Um, but that is the end of the scholar. Uh, overall thoughts on this one, Louis? I'd actually say this was one of my favourites. Yeah, I loved all the Mrs. Coulter content. Yeah, I think um, I think I still I still preferred last week, but that's maybe because that thrill of the that combination of action and plot and character really coalesced last week, and we hadn't. That was maybe just the most exciting. But this episode, there was a lot of payoff. Yes, absolutely. Character work here, Mrs. Coulter doing so much heavy lifting for this one. Um, We've spoken a few times in this series already about how we might structure something to make it feel like where the the right ending is. And I wonder if, because we spent really maybe two thirds of this whole episode with Mrs. Coulter, um, that it might have been nice to somehow to end with her scene with Boreal as they're trying to figure out what the next steps are. Mm -hmm. Um, But then ending on Mary gives a nice double meaning for the title of the episode being The Scholar, that we set it up with this Mrs. Coulter journey and then it pays off with the beginning of this Mary journey. I do sometimes feel like these episodes are written as one huge, you know, feature-length film or Mm -hmm. longer and then just cut to put where the episodes are. Sometimes it doesn't feel like they're structured to be episodes in themselves. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you and I had a lovely time earlier this year watching all of Twin Peaks 3, mm. which is, which was exactly that. Exactly. It was written and filmed as an 18-hour long yeah. film. And then it was cut up. But because it was made with that intention in mind, it feels natural. It works. Yeah. And... I get what you mean. And it's funny that it doesn't quite work as much in The Subtle Knife because, as I've mentioned, it's a very episodic book. So in theory, it should actually be an easier text to adapt for a week-by-week show than Northern Lights or Amber Spyglass. But still, like a very, very solid one for me, um, if not maybe as, as good as you thought it. But really looking forward to what's to come because there's, there's still... Although there's not much of the book left, although there's not much of the book left, there is still a lot in terms of plot to get into. You know what I've been considering? What have you been considering? And I'll let you make the decision about whether this will throw off our, our um, whether this will throw off our dynamic. Hmm. Maybe I could get into the audiobooks. Oh yeah, um, they're really nice. Listen to those. Whilst I'm working, I can. Well, you could certainly get well. If you started Northern Lights, you probably wouldn't finish the Subtle Knife by the time that we would have to do our last episode on it. Oh, of course. I so can't you go could, that fast. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. That might be a good way to do it. Okay. And when you get to um, The Book of Dust, they're read by Michael Sheen. Lovely voice. Oh, my favourite. <laughs> so there is there was so much in that episode, but for us, there is the most important part of any episode of the podcast. And now it's time to figure out what demon is Peggy. So, Louis, I can see that today, for our record, Peggy has betrayed you. She is not sleeping on your lap. She is instead 
sleeping by your side. She's growing up. She's leaving her mother. <laughs> it's weird. She started on my lap and then she suddenly jumped up, moved along the sofa and then decided she wanted to sleep next to me. But it's been a big week for Peggy this week. So she's now 13 weeks old, 14 weeks old, somewhere between that. Um, bad mother, I can't remember. And she uh, was all vaccinated and ready to go out into the world this past week. So she's been exploring and having big day. well, not big days out, because she's only really supposed to go out for about 20 minutes. But yeah, exploring the park, meeting dogs. She did meet an enormous dog, which was amazing. This this dog was a cross between a retriever and a mastiff, and it had the biggest paws I've ever seen on a dog. This dog was like a polar bear. Yeah. And uh, they, they got along just yeah. fine. Like it was like seeing Pan and Yorick. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually. Peggy, this, that dog must have been like a dinosaur for Peg. Yeah. Because just imagine meeting someone. Like 10 like times your 10 size. 10 times your size. Yeah. Um, but she, she's, she's already been a polar bear. So she's not a polar yeah, bear anymore. Yeah, she can't be a polar so bear. So what has her week of adventure turned her into this week? So I actually did some research and had a, had a think this week rather than just going, you know, feeling my way through it in a Sontagian way and just reacting to the art in front of me in that moment. And I was thinking, okay, what animals like to explore? What animals travel? And I found that the most, the thing that felt the most fitting was maybe a young caribou. As they travel, they they traverse mm. a large amount of ground, and they they like to explore different terrains, and they move within the seasons, and they've got their eyes kind of. When I looked at a photograph of the caribou, I sort of saw Peggy's spirit. They've got these like nice round, deep brown eyes mm. that she's got, although not quite as big. Thank big God to her, big to her head though. Thank God she doesn't have antlers because I don't think I. My legs could... She's already torn me to shreds. I don't think I could deal with Peggy plus antlers. Well, and the caribou are also a key part of one of my other favourite books that I only got into when I became much older. And that's the Polar Express, uh, where there's a great caribou moment in the film, which I know a lot of people hate, but I I really enjoy. But it also got me thinking what is the logistics of having a caribou-sized demon. Mm. Not very convenient. So you want a caribou, but dog-sized. Would be nice. Yeah. You know, like a micro-pig. Yeah. A micro-caribou. <laughs> micro. There we are, the micro-caribou. <laughs> that is Peggy this week. But then if she was a full-size caribou, I could ride her. Which would be amazing. And I think you'd look great doing it, particularly around the streets of London. <laughs> You know, a way of, you know, there's the congestion charge, be a way of avoiding that, eco-friendly. Absolutely. Um, so we, we must end there <laughs> <laughs> on the image of Louis riding around London on the back of a caribou. Uh, that is it for this week. Uh, but you can keep up with all of us on social media. Most importantly, Peggy is on Instagram. Peggy underscore the Jack. And you are there as well. Louisa Florence. Cool. And I am on Twitter. I'm there at Jake H. Cunningham if you want to keep up with me. We will be back next week for episode six, Malice.
Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. Our music is by Dan Yakano and our artwork is by Sam Mason. <laughs>